thank you, Ron, for recommending me. You're still keeping your fingers crossed because his reputation is at stake. You've got this service and one more to go, and then you can celebrate. Such a pleasure to be with this couple. I've never heard anything like this in my life. And uh, just terrific. Anyway, thank you for having me. Great to be with you. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis, chapter 45. Pastor, that is in the Old Testament. I notice you've got your Bible there on your lap. Oh, look, look at this. He carries his little Bible with him. It's about that big. Genesis chapter 45. I think what I'll do, I'll speak for a minute and then read, because for anybody who may be present, you don't know the background of where we are in the book of Genesis in chapter 45. Here's what we're going to look at. Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob, um, is about to reveal his identity to his brothers. You say, well, if they're his brothers, why would he need to reveal his identity? Well, it's because he hasn't seen them in 22 years. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. What has happened is that his brothers from Canaan have to come to Egypt to buy food. He always knew that this day would come when the brothers would be bowing down to him. He always thought that it would be his moment that he could look at those 11 brothers and say, gotcha, and throw the book at them and get even with them for what they had done to him. What had they done to him? Well, they were so jealous of him that they decided to kill him. Uh, they would have killed him. Uh, they were going to let him die. And uh, at the precise moment when they were going to let him die, Ishmaelites turned up and they looked at each other and said, well, let's not shed blood. So they sold their brother to the Ishmaelites, uh, never expecting to see him again. They yanked that coat of many colors off his back that Jacob had unwisely made for J uh, Joseph. Uh, Jacob was arguably the world's worst parent. Uh, you should never show favoritism, uh, but Jacob did. And the only thing worse than making this coat of many colors would be to, to wear it. And Joseph wore it and didn't bother him, strutted around, conceited teenager. And then he had these dreams. Uh, the dreams indicated that one day these brothers would bow down to him. Now, Joseph's mistake was telling the dreams. You know, just because God shows you something doesn't mean you're supposed to tell everybody. But Joseph said, oh, I had another dream. This time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You didn't need to be Sigmund Freud to interpret that dream. And they could take it no more. Well, they yanked that coat of many colors off Joseph's back dipped it in blood, laid before old Jacob, who took the bait and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. And uh, as far as Jacob knew, 
Joseph was dead. As far as the 11 brothers knew, he was out of their lives forever. But the Bible says God was with Joseph. I don't have time to go into the details. I don't know if I brought copies of God Meant It For Good, uh, a book, a whole life of Joseph. Uh, but any, in any case, uh, here's what happened. That over 22 years, God exalted Joseph. And through his ability to interpret dreams, he's made prime minister of Egypt. And now because of a famine in the land, which Joseph had also prophesied, uh, the brothers have to come to Egypt to buy food. They have to come to the prime minister. They do not have a clue that it's their brother Joseph. Joseph has changed in 22 years. He's speaking through an interpreter. He's learned Egyptian. And he is in Egyptian garb. And the day has come. The dreams are fulfilled. The brothers are bowing down to him. But by the time the dreams are being fulfilled, things have changed. It's a new Joseph. God waited until Joseph had forgiven his brothers for what they did. And so at the moment when he always thought he could throw the book at them and make them squirm, he starts to cry. His shoulders shake. And we read Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend, and upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed that I'll be your transparent vehicle to convey everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. May this be a life-changing word. May there be those who leave this place never to be the same again. And may this be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
the message I believe I am to bring to you today was born of what was at the time the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I had ever gone through. It was when we were in London. I was minister of Westminster Chapel for exactly 25 years. Uh, as Charles Dickens put it in Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And we were at a moment in the darkest hour we had ever known. The future was bleak. What happened was wrong. It was unjust. It was unfair. But I was bitter and couldn't tell anybody. But an old friend from Romania happened to be in London. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell him exactly the whole story, which nobody knows but him and my wife. I did it probably to say, to him, look, sympathize with me, put your arm around me, help me. He just looked at me and said, anything more? I said, no, that's it. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would turn out to be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Stone looked at me and said, RT, you must totally Forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that's when you let those off the hook that were determined to do you in, to ruin you, to sink you, destroy you. And not only let them off the hook, but you actually ask God to bless them. You say, well, RT, I can never do that. Look, I understand. What I am putting to you today is, in a sense, unfair. Because the most natural feeling in the world when we've been hurt, lied about, the object of injustice, we want to see them punished. We want justice. And then to ask that you forgive them. Now, when you forgive them, it doesn't mean that you approve of what they did. Jesus forgave the woman in adultery and then said, go and sin no more. Total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation follows, but often doesn't. Sometimes shouldn't. If your best friend sleeps with your spouse, you forgive them, but you don't go on vacation with them. <laughs> or if a person is found to be a child molester, you forgive them, but you don't let them teach a little children's Sunday school class. Total forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation, but it is letting them off the hook, kissing vengeance goodbye, kissing vindication goodbye, and you give it to God totally and completely. Now, why should you do that? What hope have I got that anybody here would want to do such a thing? It goes right against nature. 
You know, we've all got a story to tell. If I told you my story, I could win you over just like that. But if I heard your story, chances are I would blush to think that I'd suffered at all. Some of you have gone through 10 times worse. Perhaps your spouse was unfaithful to you. Perhaps you were raped. Perhaps you were abused as a child. Perhaps you were lied about, and everybody believes the lie. Suppose we heard your story, and we all agree you've suffered more than anybody in this room. And we ask, well, what's your reaction? We all agree no one has suffered like you. What would you say? You say, well, see there? Now you know why I'm upset. Or would you not know that the angels are looking at you and saying, congratulations. Because if you've suffered like that, you've got a blessing down the road that the person next to you doesn't have. Because they haven't suffered like you. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. The only hope I have that you'd want to totally forgive them is that you'd like a greater anointing. Now, speaking personally, I would rather have a greater anointing than anything. You say, well, that's it. isn't he godly? Isn't he spiritual? I'm not so sure it's a godly request. I just know I want it more than anything. It's what I want. May or may not be spiritual, but I know this. I would do anything for a greater anointing. And if you are wanting a greater anointing, if maybe that's your wish, then I've got the answer. Guarantee it. And so, why should you totally forgive them? Well, we all know Jesus taught it. <laughs> that we all agree. But most people take it as being, oh, isn't it a nice thing that he taught? Love your enemies, bless them. You don't realize he meant it. And it's a no-joke thing. And it, isn't it amazing how Christians can go right through the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't bother them, go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they get to Acts, Romans, Galatians, we want to get to our doctrine. They don't realize that the Holy Spirit is grieved and why revival tarries and why there's no blessing in the church. And I've come to explain something to you. And I may never see you again, but I want to leave on deposit a word that could change your life. Now, why should you do it? Well, for one thing, I can give you medical reasons. Did you know medical people have discovered that holding a grudge is injurious to your health? Leads to arthritis, kidney disease, heart disease. I'm not saying if you have these, this is why, but sometimes it is. I'll tell you this, about six months ago, I, I kicked myself, I didn't write it down. I, I don't remember whether it was in South Africa or England or somewhere in America. I've been so busy lately. But a lady came up to me and said, two years before, she heard my sermon, Total Forgiveness, and in the middle of the sermon, she was actually healed. The moment she forgave the person as I preached, she was healed. She waited two years to tell me. And this should not surprise you because when you let them off the hook, 
you allow the Holy Spirit to move in. You see, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And I didn't even know about this verse when I wrote the book, Total Forgiveness. Found about it later by, by looking at a different translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Another reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil. You see, when you hold a grudge and you refuse to set them free, you didn't mean to, but you give the devil an entry point, and he takes full advantage of it. And you wonder why you're angry all the time, cantankerous, irritable. The Bible doesn't mean anything to you. You force yourself to go to church, always pointing the finger. The moment you set them free, Satan has to go. He cannot stand to be around where there's a heart devoid of bitterness. And so this could be a life-changing moment for you. Now, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have totally forgiven? I am sure there'd be a lot of hands that go up, and you would mean that. But I want to make a proposition with you. And the deal is this. If I were to show in the next several minutes that you have not totally forgiven after all, would you then do it. Some 20 minutes from now, we'll come to a decision time, and you will make a decision to let them off the hook or not. Total forgiveness is an act of the will, something you do, and we'll have decision time before we leave. The question is, how do you know you've done it? And I want to show how to know you've actually done it. Proof number one, you do not tell anybody what they did to you. Listen, verse one, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Why did he make everybody leave? Here's the prime minister. Here's members of his cabinet, the aides, translator. And he says, everybody out. Well, they don't know why, but they all leave. Translator probably hangs around and says, well, you're going to need me. He says to the translator, out. And now behind closed doors, Joseph begins to speak to them in Hebrew. He says, I'm Joseph. And they're scared to death, which, funnily enough, is what he always wanted. He, he longed for the day for them to be terrified. Now, here it is, handed to him on a silver platter. He doesn't want them to be afraid. But why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to come and live in Egypt. He wants to make sure nobody in Egypt knows what they did to him. He knows that he is a hero in Egypt, but he knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. And so behind closed doors to make sure nobody in Egypt would ever find out, he reveals his identity to them. You see, the first thing we want to do when we get on the phone is tell what they did. We can't bear the thought that the people 
that have hurt us uh, uh, could, uh, we can't bear the thought that they get away with it and nobody admires them. And the truth is, when you set them free, perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 18. And fear has to do with punishment. And we want to punish them. And our way of punishing them is to get on the phone and tell what they did. What about the verse that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Well, Lord, I know that, but you're so slow. <laughs> and so we want to help God out and make it easy for him as we tell what they did. Total forgiveness is when you tell nobody what they did, ever. Two exceptions. One, you need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. I told Joseph Zone. You tell your pastor. Tell somebody who won't tell anybody. You tell it once, not twice, not 500 times. Tell it once. The other exception, I had a lady come into uh, the vestry and said, uh, they found my rapist, so they want uh, me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. Oh, but Dr. Kendall, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. And besides, he's from Iran. And if I testify, they'll be sending him back to Iran where he'll be beheaded. And I've forgiven him. I said, it's great that you've forgiven him. But it's not personal now. He's a danger to society. Just answer their questions. She did. He was sent back. But what's the real reason we tell it? We want to hurt them. We want to destroy their reputation. We don't want anybody to admire them anymore. And the moment you do that, you grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you know you've totally forgiven? You tell nobody what they did. Tell the Lord. He can cope with it. Psalm 142, verse 2. Pour out your complaint to the Lord. It's okay to tell him, but don't tell anybody else. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Here were these men terrified. And what does Joseph say? Gotcha. No. He says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. He knew they were terrified. He was doing everything he could. Just come close to me. They couldn't take it in. But you see, when you don't want them to be afraid of you, this is the way it is, our Heavenly Father. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but love. We say, Abba, Father, and intimacy. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to know you're accepted by the blood of his Son. But you see, when we keep another person nervous, Husbands and wives will play this game. Keep the other intimidated. Keep the other nervous. Keep them just a bit afraid. By the way, this sermon could heal any marriage on the rocks by sundown today if both of you will stop pointing the finger. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? Well, to show that we've paid. Why do we keep a record of wrongs? Oh, so we can use it against them later. Husband says to the wife, I will remember that. And he sure does, about four days later, quotes 
Listen, that record of wrongs you've got, tear it up. Burn it. Refuse to use what you know and to make the other person be nervous. Perfect love casts out fear. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. Proof number three, you don't even let them feel guilty. Listen to this. Come close to me, Joseph said. I am your brother. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. You ever said to somebody, I forgive you for what you've done, but I hope you feel bad about it. Well, you're still wanting to rub their noses in it. And you want to make sure they're really sorry. You say, well, RT, you don't have to forgive them until they repent. Really? Where'd you get that? Oh, I just remembered where you got it. It's in the Mosaic Law. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yep. If you choose to be under the law, you can, you can go that route. Caution. The moment you choose to go under the law, you've got to take the whole load. You don't just get to be selective. I like this part and that and this. No, you've got not only the Ten Commandments, but 2,000 pieces of Mosaic legislation. You want that? Go for it. Or you can let Jesus be your model. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't even know. You see, what gets your goat is that they don't know how hurt you are. So you go up to them and say, I forgive you. By the way, when the sermon is over, don't walk across the room, go up to somebody and say, well, now in the light of our tea sermon, I forgive you. <laughs> and they will look at you and say, for what? So well, you know what? No, I don't. Oh, you do. I don't. Oh, you do. Now you've got to fight, which is exactly what you wanted. You can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are, so you tell them. Look, never ever go up to somebody and say, I forgive you. Ever. The only time you could do it is when they're begging for it. That's different. The people I had to forgive never said a word. It happened here. The funny thing is, we became friends. We never talked about it. I think they knew. What if they didn't? It doesn't matter. The bitterness here is not worth it. You know, it takes minimal grace to forgive them when they're sorry. It takes a lot of grace when they're not sorry. Or they don't even know what they've done. And nine out of ten people you ever have to forgive, they don't think they've done anything wrong at all. The people that I had to forgive, you could have put them under a lie detector. They didn't think they did anything wrong. That's the way it always is. And that lets you know you've hurt people. They're having to forgive you. You think, well, I haven't done anything. We never see how we've hurt others. You don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. And by the way, don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are among the godly. Hmm. You've heard the poem, Living with the Saints Above? Oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below? Well, that's another story. 
Proof number four. You let them save face. You know what that means? It's an oriental expression. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, you protect their fragile ego. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he has a section, let the other person save face. Dale Carnegie reckons you win a friend for life when you let him save face. You act like you don't know what they did. You cover for them instead of embarrassing them. And here's Joseph. He knows the men are scared to death. He says, look, you don't have anything to worry about. He said, God was behind the whole thing. He said, don't be angry with yourselves. It was to save lives. God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. These men, they can't believe their luck that the very man they were going to kill is now saying God did it. And you see, Asher says to Naphtali, Naphtali, did I hear right? We didn't do it. God did it. Gad says to Asher, Ash, did we hear it right? We didn't even do it. God did it. And Joseph says, that's it. God did it. It's very simple. You should have known that God said to Abraham 400 years ago that his seed would be coming up out of Egypt. It was predestined. Somebody had to get here first, and God said, Joseph, you go first. That's all. I just got here first. Now we all come back. It's all a part of prophecy. And these men, they're being set free. Instead of Joseph giving them a hard time, how could you? God did it. You see, that's the way God is with all of us. He lets us save face. Proof number five, you protect them from their darkest secret. What was their dark secret? Well, they took that coat of many colors, dipped it in blood, took it old Jacob, and said, do you recognize it? And Jacob took the bait. They would rather die than have to go back and tell the old man the truth. They'd rather die. Joseph knew that. And I didn't read the whole story because of time, but I'd love you to read it when you get home. Joseph tells them what to say when they go back to Canaan and give the news that Joseph is alive. He won't let them tell everything. He writes the script. He won't let them tell what they did. He protects them from their darkest secret. And chances are you know something about somebody. Were you to reveal it, could destroy them. And you hang it over their heads. Well, I may tell it, maybe I won't. And the person's nervous by day and night that you might spill the beans. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? Assure that person no one will ever know. You see, we've all got skeletons in the closet. And God knows that. He doesn't want to embarrass anybody. He lets us save face and protects us. And you have that responsibility. You're a stewardship of the gospel committed to you. 
the things you never tell. Proof number six. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. What that means is you've got to do it as long as you live. It's like if your doctor gives you a tablet and says you'll have to take this the rest of your life. I've got one. I take Nexium every day for acid reflux. Take it as long as I live, he said. You'll never get well. It's a life sentence. Total forgiveness is something you have to do as long as you live. Well, you say, well, I did it once. That's enough. You, my friend, have a faulty doctrine of sanctification. The heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked who can know it. And you forgive them today and you feel better. And then tomorrow, you realize what they did and you get all churned up. And you say, well, I did it once. Listen, you've got to do it tomorrow, day after tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. The devil will wake you up at 4 o'clock in the morning remind you of what they did. And you get all turned up and you lose your peace. No, you've got to keep doing it. That means all your life, you forgive them. The benefit is the anointing. It increases, and God will use you. And you see, it wasn't until Joseph forgave them that God looked down from heaven and said, Joseph, I think you're ready. I think I can use you now. I wonder if there's anybody here, you feel that God was going to use you one day. It was revealed to you somehow, word of knowledge, prophecy, dream. But you've been waiting for your time to come, and you think, how long, how long, how long? I've come today to tell you how long. As long as it takes to bring you to the place where Joseph got to. Who would have thought that his gift of interpreting dreams would get him anywhere? You may feel that you've got no gift. God could never use you. Consider Joseph. Say Joseph comes into Detroit and he wants a job. He goes to an employment agency. They say, well, Joseph, what do you do? He says, dream. Oh, oh, I interpret dreams. Right. Your name again? Joseph. Thank you. We'll be in touch with you. And you may feel that your gift is about as important as that. But who would have thought one day that the Pharaoh would have a dream? Nobody could interpret it. God knows where you are. They found Joseph. They'll find you. But not as long as that bitterness is still there. Seventeen years later, Jacob died. And the brothers come running, and they're scared to death. They make up a story. And said, Joseph, before Dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us for what we did. And Joseph starts to cry. He says, what's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago I forgave you. I forgave you then, I forgive you now. Do you want to know the secret of Joseph, he really had forgiven him. Wasn't his gift in foreign languages. It wasn't his diplomatic skills. He really had forgiven him. It was real. 
truth number seven, finally. You bless them. Joseph said to them, don't worry. I'll look after you. I will bless you. And he blessed them. After all those years, they just couldn't believe they could be forgiven like that. God forgives like that. You may have a skeleton in your closet and say, God, you can never forgive me for that. The blood of Jesus covers everything. But you have a responsibility to pass that forgiveness along to somebody else. Give them a gift they don't deserve because God gave you a gift you don't deserve. And the highest point in forgiveness is when you bless them. Bless them. One Sunday morning, I came into the pulpit at Westminster Chapel, and as we were leading the worship, there was a woman out there who's done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw her, I lost it. I could hardly sing. I mouthed the words. I had to read the scripture, sing another hymn, pastoral prayer. I don't know how I got through it. What saved me was offering time. Sat next to the pulpit while they're taking the offering. And I wasn't prepared for this. It was as though the Lord went into a conversation with me. This doesn't happen to me every day. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. But RT, you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel? Yes. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really? Which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. Pray for her. I pray for her. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. <laughs> Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yup. And what if I take your word seriously and literally and I answer your prayer and I bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? That's the point. And I'd start praying, bless her, bless her, bless her. It killed me. And to prove I meant it, the next day I had to put her on my prayer list. Pray for every day. Bless her. Bless her. You know what? That was a turning point. It was another turning point. I've got more than one. Where new levels of total forgiveness come up. New kind of enemy. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least faithful also in much. And you, I couldn't have known back in those days how many more times I'd have to do it. I now have an enemy's prayer list. <laughs> I do. They don't know it. They'll never know it. When we get to heaven, they might find out that. What if they don't? It doesn't matter. I wouldn't. It's fun. I pray for them. Ask God to bless them. See, I really mean it. Bless them. It's the most selfish prayer I've ever prayed. Because it just means more anointing for me. 
you know, I'm going to say something you could misunderstand. So here goes. People say, R.T., how come you've written all those books? They think it's my education, my brain. No. It's that I've practiced this. <laughs> I think I'd written two books when all this started. Now I've written 55, 58, maybe 60. I've lost count. He will do that for you. You may not be an author, but you've got a gift. Untapped, who knows how God will use you. But it can't be as long as you're in that quagmire, bitterness and anger. Okay, decision time. Going to ask that nobody leave. Won't need any music for a while. I'll let you know. I made a deal with you. If I were to show that you haven't forgiven after all, would you then do it? Here's the deal. If you're now ready to forgive, you see that you haven't, but you're going to do it now. One minute from now, I'm going to ask you to stand right here. You say, in front of all these people, yes. Oh, they'll know I've had a problem. Yes. So the test is whether God is first or you're looking over your shoulder the rest of your life. This is the moment in 45 seconds just to stay before God. I let them off the hook. I forgive them before God and the angels. In 30 seconds, don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. You say, it's too late, RT. I've already done it. Don't do it anymore. I won't let them be afraid of me. I won't let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence, and I will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're prepared to forgive them, stand to your feet at this moment. Remain standing. Anyone else? I'll wait 15 seconds. Don't miss this moment. May not come around like this again. Okay, now don't go. Don't sit down. We're not finished. If you're standing, I want you to go to the nearest aisle and come down to the front. We're going to pray. You're in the balcony. Take an extra 30 seconds, but we'll wait for you. Find the door. Come down. All of us. Come to the nearest aisle. All of you. Come quickly, quickly. Everybody come. Come all the way to the front. Make room for aisles and rows behind you. Most beautiful sight in Detroit is taking place right now, Pastor. You know, the first thing I do when I preach this sermon, I look to see if the pastor stands. Because if he doesn't, I worry. Because I know he should. Some do, some don't. He did. Good man. Now, what you've just done is the easy part. 
The hard part will be a couple hours from now, and you think, what made me do that? Tomorrow morning after a cup of coffee, you think, I don't believe I did that. Now look, we haven't prayed yet. You can still get out of it. I'm not going to look and see who's praying. This is not between you and me. This is between you and God. This is a very serious moment. You know what I could have done a minute ago? You know what I could have done? I could have said, God bless you. Think about this. Go home and pray about it. Turn the service back over to your pastor. I could have done that. I would have done you no favor to do that. Why have I called you up? This way, before God and the angels and men and women, you've made a stand, and you won't forget this. Now we're going to pray. I'll give you the words to say, but I caution you, we're under a covenant. Every covenant in the Bible was ratified by blood. Did you know that? They always shed blood. We're under a covenant. The blood was shed 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. So under the blood of Jesus. Here we go. If you're ready to say it out loud, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. Wash my sins away by your blood. I'm sorry for my sins. I confess my bitterness. Forgive me. I forgive them. I ask you to bless them. I won't tell what they did. I won't let them be afraid of me. I will not let them feel guilty. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I accept this as a life sentence. I'll keep doing it. And I will bless them. I bless them now. Bless them, Lord. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm finished. Over to you. Go in peace.